we're going to open up our Bibles and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that serves the purpose of the Bible in our lives, that every passage of the Scripture presents to us a picture of the one who is responsible for us, that is Jesus the Christ. He's responsible for why we planted the Hallows Church 10 years ago. He's the reason we gather to worship week in and week out. He's the reason we scatter to serve as we seek to bless the city of Seattle in light of the gospel and, and sharing with those about what he has done for them. And, and so if you have your Bibles, turn them open to Luke chapter 4. Because everything we do as a faith family who identify ourselves as the Hallows Church, we do in the service of the kingdom of God. And in today's passage found in Luke chapter 4, it's the first time we're going to read reference to the kingdom of God in Luke's gospel. It is the first of uh, about 37 more references that are going to pop up in this gospel because the kingdom of God is a really big deal. And I remember trying to communicate about the kingdom of God to my little ones when they were younger and trying to help them understand what the kingdom of God is. And it was very tempting for them to want to run to a map and then pinpoint its location. But you know, as well as I do, that the kingdom of God cannot be located on a map because the kingdom of God is not a place, it is a pulse. The kingdom of God is a heartbeat. The kingdom of God is a way of life. The kingdom of God is not static. It is not a location. The kingdom of God is dynamic. It is a movement of God throughout the world to establish his redemption and his reign and rule over all things. And Jesus taught his disciples to pray the prayer that we vocalized a moment ago that our, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And yes, that is where our name comes from, the Hallows Church. We want to hallow the name of God. We want to revere God as God in everything that we say and in everything that we do. So Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is essentially what our desire is as a faith family scattered here in Wallingford, West Seattle, Edmonds, and many places in between. We, it is our desire to see the kingdom of God appear on earth as it is in heaven. This is why our church exists. And if you want to, I think a helpful definition of what the kingdom of God is, as you consider it being a not a place, but a pulse, but a, not something that is static, but something that is dynamic. When we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're talking about what life looks like when Jesus gets his way. When, what life looks like when Jesus gets his way, that is the kingdom of God, and that is our desire. We want to see Jesus getting his way in our lives. We want to see Jesus getting his way in the lives of people all throughout our city and around the world. We want to see Jesus get his way because when Jesus gets his way, that's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing when Jesus gets his way. This is why, as followers of Jesus, we commit to advancing the kingdom of God, to establishing the reign and the rule of Jesus in all things. Because our desire ultimately isn't to turn this earth or to treat this earth as if it is heaven because that is a dead end. 
A miserable, a miserable way to live occurs when we treat this earth as if it is heaven. But what we want to do as followers of Jesus isn't to treat this earth as if it's heaven. We want to give this earth tastes of heaven. We want to see heaven coming down. We want to see Jesus getting his way. We want to see Jesus doing all the things in our lives that he demonstrates and illustrates that he does in the gospel. Because everywhere Jesus went, as he ministered publicly and as he journeyed through this life, everywhere he went, he brought heaven with him. And so when we are looking at the life and ministry of Jesus here in the Gospel of Luke, when we look at what he's doing and the way he did it, we are seeing the kingdom of God in action. We are seeing in a myriad of ways of what life looks like when Jesus gets his way. This is why Luke chapter 4 is such an important chapter because Luke chapter 4 chronicles the start of Jesus' public life and his public ministry. And if you recall from a couple of weeks ago, Jesus started his ministry in his hometown, a place called Nazareth. He stepped into the synagogue on the Sabbath one day and he stood up and he revealed to everyone there, he said, look, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. I'm the anointed one. I'm the king that you've all been anticipating. And he begins to speak that with authority. He begins to speak that with clarity. And at first, people were excited, but then they thought about it. And you know as well as I do that not every regime change is peaceful. And so when Jesus stepped onto the scene of their lives and he announced that a regime change is coming, that I am the king that is to rule your life and to reign over your life, not your religious practices, not the Roman government, when he began to make that clear, that regime change aroused people's frustration. And so by the time he was done that day, a crowd of people had gathered and they formed a mob wanting to put this guy to death. And so they actually chased him to a nearby cliff and were told around verses 28, 29 that they wanted to hurl him over the side of this thing. But notice what happens in verse 30. In verse 30, we're told that Jesus passed right through the crowd, that Jesus was in control. He was composed in that circumstance. And that no one was going to lay a hand on him apart from his surrender to them. And he wasn't ready to give that to them yet. Because there was work to be done. There were things he needed to do before he allowed human beings like you and I to place our hands upon him. And to not hurl him off a cliff, but to hang him from a cross. And so until that day came, he had things he needed to do. So he just passed right through the crowd. He wasn't going to allow anyone to set his agenda. He came with an agenda in mind, and he was going to fulfill it. But then notice what happens at the end of verse 30. It's a powerful phrase. It says at the end of verse 30 that he went on his way, or he passed through the crowd, and he went on, here it is, his way. Because the kingdom of God is what life looks like when Jesus gets his Way And there was more to be done. So he leaves Nazareth, and his way would lead him to a place called Capernaum. And as he enters into this fishing village of Capernaum, he, he does what he normally did on the Sabbath. He stepped in, and he began to teach. And we are told that all of his teaching just astonished everyone who was present because he taught. His message carried weight to it. His message conveyed an authority that the people hadn't been exposed to yet, an authority that was benevolent, not malevolent. 
As you know, that the root of the word authority, the Latin root of that word means, it refers to that which produces growth and that which produces life. That's the type of authority Jesus wields. He leverages his authority to make us grow and to give us life. He handles authority unlike any other person in the universe. He handles his authority for our good. And this was what was being conveyed as he taught in the synagogue. And everyone was astonished. But as he taught, we're also told that he began to kick up a hornet's nest. And there was a man present in the synagogue who had an unclean spirit. And as Jesus began to talk and the light began to shine, these creatures of darkness began to step up and oppose him. And so Jesus, with a word, he rebuked this unclean spirit and he liberated this man so that he could live. He liberated this man so that he could grow. He liberated this man so he could experience the kingdom of God in his life. Because the kingdom of God is what life looks like when Jesus gets his way. And so he set this man free. And all the while, he's showing that. He's showcasing the kingdom. And he continues to do that today. If you pick up in verse 38... Jesus continues to showcase the kingdom. We begin reading in verse 38. It says, after Jesus left the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. Now, Simon is Peter, one of the keynote disciples that we'll learn a little about. We'll learn more about as the days go by. He entered Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. Yes, this means that Simon Peter was married He had a wife, he had a mother-in-law, and here we are told that she was suffering from a high fever. And they asked him about her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up immediately and began to serve them. When the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him. As he laid his hands on each one of them, he healed them. Also, demons were coming out of many, shouting and saying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. When it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place. But the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, It is necessary for me to proclaim the good news or to proclaim the gospel about the kingdom of God to the other towns also because I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Jesus continues to advance his kingdom. He continues to carry the agenda of the kingdom of God through his life and his ministry. And what he does in this story is what I want your hearts to be warmed with this morning is that he brings that his way that he is demonstrating here is the way of relief. That Jesus is bringing relief to people who are struggling in a variety of ways. I'm going to give you four types of people that he brings relief to in this passage. Two of which are things that he does for people. But then the other two kind of speaks to the example that he sets for you and I to follow as we follow in the way of Jesus together. As we also give ourselves to the agenda of God's kingdom. And so the kingdom of God is what life looks like when Jesus gets his way. And his way here looks like relief. It looks like mercy. And first, you see him bringing relief to those who are suffering. He steps into his mother-in-law's house who is suffering from a fever. We don't know exactly what was wrong, but we do know it was bad. As the word suffering is used to describe her state. 
And then Jesus steps over her life. He kind of stands over her, and he does the same thing he did in the synagogue. He rebukes. Just as he rebuked the demon earlier, he's now rebuking this fever in his mother-in-law's life because Jesus' kingdom is more powerful than demons and his kingdom is more powerful than diseases. And so this is one of many miracles that Jesus will perform throughout his life and ministry. Now, when you think about the miracles that Jesus performs when he's healing the sick and he's doing these extraordinary things that were quite uncommon, even in his day, when, when you consider him doing what he's doing, you've got to realize that miracles, as C.S. Lewis once pointed out, he said that miracles aren't necessarily the suspension or the breaking of natural law. I think that's sometimes how we think about miracles, that if a miracle is performed, that means whatever is natural is superseded. Whatever is natural is broken so that something better is done. But what you begin to consider when you look at the types of miracles Jesus does throughout his life and ministry, what it looks like when Jesus gets his way, you begin to see that miracles do not consist of the breaking or the suspending of the natural order of things. Miracles consist of the restoration of those things. When Jesus performs a miracle, he's putting nature back to the way it belongs. Sickness did not belong in this woman's life. Sickness does not belong in the kingdom of God. And so what does Jesus do? He removes it. Because miracles are the restoration of that which is real. Restoration of that which was intended by God from the beginning. There was a man by the name of uh, N.T. Wright. You might have heard his of his name before, but he said every time you see Jesus performing a miracle in the Gospels, he is sketching in pencil what he will one day write in indelible ink. Another way of saying that, every time you see Jesus perform a miracle, you're getting a taste of heaven. You're getting a taste of what life is going to be like when the kingdom of God is fully consummated in the new heavens and the new earth. It's a wonderful thing when Jesus gets his way because that means that sickness cannot continue but sickness and illness disease and suffering all of that is to be done away with as jesus gets his way but notice how simon's mother-in-law responded to this work of grace in her life when the kingdom of god touched down in this moment and she was healed of her sufferings what does she do she stands up and immediately she starts serving everyone there she is now enlisted in service of the kingdom of God. This is what we do as the kingdom of God touches down in our lives. It compels us to join in on what the kingdom of God is about. And so this woman who had her suffering relieved is now helping serve everyone in her household. She's on her feet doing the things that Jesus would have her do. But then you keep reading and you find that there were more people than just this one individual who was sick whose suffering was alleviated by Jesus. As the sun went down, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases came to Jesus. And notice what he does. You got to love this about Jesus. It says that he laid his hands on each one of them. This personal touch of the powerful Savior, that Jesus did not just wave a wand from afar, eradicating disease. Jesus modeled the power of relationship that when the kingdom of God touches down in our life, not only does it remove that which ails us, not, not only does it promise to remove everything that inflicts us, the kingdom of God is about establishing a relationship 
with the king who is personally involved in our lives. And so Jesus not only communicates truth in these stories, he communicates truth with a personal touch. And you want to talk about what the kingdom of God looks like in action? It looks like truth with a personal touch. And we'll talk about more what that means here in a moment. But then you keep reading. Not only does he bring relief to those who are suffering, he brings relief for those who are tormented. Because there's also more evidence here of more people who are afflicted by demonic forces. And we're told that as Jesus was healing the sick, people who were tormented by these unclean spirits, demons started coming out of people, shouting and saying, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And you get a picture here of how the kingdom of God is not an unopposed kingdom. Every kingdom is opposed by an alternative kingdom. Well, the kingdom of God is opposed by the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of darkness is referred to in various ways throughout the New Testament. There are forces afoot that stand in opposition of the kingdom of God. And so we should not be surprised that when the kingdom of God starts to move among us and Jesus starts getting his way, we should not be surprised when opposition arises. We should not be deterred by such opposition. We should not be swayed away from our mission as a result of such opposition. No, such opposition is actually a key sign that we're moving in the right direction. This is the type of work we want to be about doing. We want to see the forces of darkness roll back. We want to see Jesus getting his way in the lives of those who are tormented by unclean spirits, perhaps because they've been believing lies for too long and they've given up ground to the enemy. We want to see Jesus declare over them, you are mine, you are not theirs. We want to see Jesus doing the things that he does when his kingdom appears on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus gets his way, those who are tormented are being set free. Now, when we say that the kingdom of God is not an unopposed kingdom, we're not talking about the kingdom of God being opposed by an equal force. When you talk about the kingdom of God and the opposition that comes against it, we're not talking about something like Star Wars, where you have the light and the dark and we're trying to achieve balance. Jesus is not interested in establishing balance in the, in the universe. Jesus is about dominance. One day, he's going to dominate all the forces of darkness to the point where it is all abolished and eradicated forever and always. And only light will prevail in the end. There will be not a shadow or a hint of darkness in the new heavens and the new earth because this is what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of light. And there is coming a day when there is no sickness and suffering and there is no satanic opposition afflicting people's lives anymore. But notice as these demons started coming out of people, they cried out, you are the son of God. And Jesus once again rebukes them. He shows that he's stronger than them. He, he knows that these forces can't hold a candle to him. He is more powerful than them. So he rebukes them and he tells them to be silent. Now, the reason why he tells the demons to be silent is because, again, he's not come to fulfill their agenda. He's not going to be rushed along his way. This is why patience in serving the kingdom of God is required. Jesus moves at his own pace. He's not going to be rushed along by a demon who's trying to speed his ministry along to its end. He's not going to be rushed along by anyone or anything. He's going to do his thing in his time. So what does he do? He rebukes 
the demon. I was talking to a member of our church earlier uh, this morning, and we started talking about barbecue, and she pointed out the, the beauty of, of, of barbecue. And I'm, I'm, I don't, if you don't know that about me and, and George and others in the life of the church, we love to smoke meats. We love to cook low and slow. We like to devote a lot of time to seeing meat tenderized and flavored and, and come out ready to eat. We, we love the process. And she pointed out that, you know, church planting and the work that we're doing in service of the kingdom of God is a lot like making barbecue. <laughs> it's low and slow. Just be patient. Apply a little heat, and things are going to turn out well. This is the rhythm of the kingdom of God. You are patient. Just keep applying some heat, and things are going to turn out well. So Jesus rebukes these unclean spirits. He doesn't allow them to set the agenda. He's going to move low. He's going to move slow. He's going to do his thing his way. And then you continue. Not only does he get his way by bringing relief to those who are suffering and relief to those who are Tormented. There's also a sense where he brings relief to people by setting an example for them in the sense that Jesus brings relief to those who are tired. If you notice towards the end of the passage, we're told that after all, Jesus apparently healed people all night long. He gave himself to all the people who were coming to him. He was ministering and serving and loving every individual that stepped towards him. He healed them all night. But as the sun came up, look at what happened. We're told that Jesus then retreated and he made his way to a deserted place. So his way not only led him towards people, his way also led him towards a deserted place. Now, if you were to turn one page in your Bibles, most likely, and you look at chapter 5, verse 19, you're going to see what he did when, he, when his way took him to the deserted place. We we're told that he would go to those types of locations to pray. And Jesus would retreat from the crowds at times to to pray, to rest, to take refuge in his relationship with his heavenly father. Here's a question, true or false, did Jesus get tired? Yeah. True or false, did Jesus need a break from people? Yeah, all you introverts, you can breathe easy. You're, you're, You're not at fault for needing to retreat from people on occasion. Jesus also stepped back. And he'd go to the deserted place, and there he would rest. He would renew his strength in his relationship with his father, setting an example for tired people like you and I. As we join him on his way, it is important that we recapture that rhythm of work and rest, of engagement and disengagement, of moving towards people and at times stepping away from people. But notice the nature of his rest wasn't to get away from people so that he could watch Netflix all day. He didn't try to get away from people to fill his time with something else that might have been mindless. No, he stepped back so that he could step into prayer, so that he could draw the energy needed to be deployed in service of the kingdom of God from his heavenly Father. And so we've come 10 years as a church now, and if we're going to make it 10 more years, We have to recapture this rhythm. We are so volunteer heavy. You might have seen this, and you know this because this is you guys. You guys are leaning in to make ministry happen here in the Hallows Church. You guys are devoting so much time and so much energy to all the things that are happening to make Jesus known and to see Jesus get his way in the city. You're devoting so much. But as you are moving towards people and you're engaging in ministry, don't forget to step back. 
And one of the things that our elders are committed to doing in the future, a better job, is monitoring that to help you step back and encourage you to do so so that you can lean into your relationship with the Father and grow in intimacy with Him so that you're serving not on fumes, but your tank is being filled up time and time and time again. And so you're going to hear about this in the coming weeks when we begin to introduce sort of new rhythms and a new cadence to how we do missional communities and how we do small groups in the life of the church, trying to build into the calendar intentional times for everyone to step back and to breathe and to rest. We're not going to make it another 10 years without it. And so Jesus here is being very kind by setting that example. You know, he is the God man. He could have pressed through. He could have He could have just gotten a grip and gritted it and kept going, but no, he stepped back. He sought the Father. He rested in his relationship with God, and we would be wise to follow suit. You know, I read an article not too long ago coming out of the New York Daily News. Back in 2013, orthopedic surgeons started to notice a a terrible trend among young people in our culture and our society. As sports started taking off and they began year-long endeavors and not seasonal endeavors, they began to notice that they're, uh, they were performing surgery, like operating, 200 to 300, operating on 200 to 300 kids a year, which was far more than what they were used to doing. One doctor referred to it as an epidemic of sports energy, uh, injuries in the lives of our little ones, and, and they said, this is why. They said, a major factor contributing to this struggle in little ones is that there, there's no time for them to rest. He said the current emphasis on playing one sport all year long leaves no time for muscles and joints to recover from the micro trauma that occurs during practice and play. So if you're playing one sport all the time and you're only using those muscle groups all the time, your body's going to deteriorate and it's not going to be healthy. And so just as that is a physical picture of what happens spiritually as well, if we're not learning to step back and to rest our muscles, so to speak, we're going to suffer various micro, in, micro injuries that can knock us out of the game for longer than it should. And so Jesus sets an example by bringing relief to those who are tired. And then there's one other example that I want you to think about, and that is he steps out of the desert. And it seems that when he comes back too and the crowd is coming back around him and they're trying to talk him into staying there, he looks at the crowd and says, no, it's necessary that I keep going. There are other places with other people who need to hear the good news of my kingdom. There are other places with other people who need to hear what and see what life looks like when I get my way. And so he says, it is necessary that I keep moving. And so you get this picture that Jesus stepped out of the desert And the agenda for his life was brought into a sharper and clearer focus. Because prayer and spending time with the Father has a way of recalibrating our lives so that we know the direction that we should be going, know what we should be doing, and we can step into the future with confidence and with courage, knowing that we are doing exactly what the Father has put before us to do. So there's a sense in which Jesus brings relief to the aimless. That if you're someone who feels like you've just been wandering through this world, being pushed 
upon by every force around you and you're not being very proactive and deliberate and intentional and focused in how you're spending your time, how you're spending your talents, how you're spending your treasure, Jesus brings relief to you to help recalibrate your life's purpose so that you can go in the direction he would have you go. So it is relief to know that Jesus leads us. He guides us. He directs us. He doesn't want us to be aimless so that we're fraught with anxiety and constantly asking what if. And he brings clarity and focus to our life's agenda so that our agenda could serve his agenda. Now, one of the things that he does, now this is very important. One of the things that he does when he steps out of the desert and he begins to re-engage, the very next thing he does in chapter 5 is he recruits his first disciples. Because there is a sense in which Jesus' ministry needed the help of Peter and James and John and all the other disciples that you're going to see rally around Jesus and walk with Jesus through this world. He brought purpose to them. He brought direction to them. Together, they were able to see Jesus get his way amongst many people in many places, not because Jesus was doing it by himself, but because he was dispensing ministry among his disciples, and they were all learning to serve the kingdom together. It's a beautiful thing to see Jesus do this. There comes a moment towards the end of his life and ministry on earth where in John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus is getting ready to leave the world and he tells the disciples, look, it's better for you that I depart from this place than to stay with you. And the disciples are, that can't be true, right? And just know it is true because when I go, I'm gonna send a helper to you. And the helper is gonna fill each and every one of you up. The helper is going to empower you to live in service of the kingdom of God. And, And then he goes on to tell them something strange in John 14, 12. He says, There's coming a day when you are going to do greater works than the ones you've seen me do. Now, that verse means a lot of things. One of the things it means is that the reason why his disciples would do greater works than Jesus is because there was more of his presence to go around. There was more of him in the lives of his people by way of his Holy Spirit that would allow the kingdom of God to go forth more assertively, more broadly, more widely. And so if you are a follower of Jesus today, if you are a Christian, you have been enlisted to serve the kingdom of God. There is a role for you to play the presence of God, the power of God, the spirit of God has been given to you to make that happen. And so the question you must ask yourself is, is Jesus getting his way in your life right now? Is there a conflict of that regime change still taking place in your life so that you're not sure you want him to call the shots? You want to call the shots. Is the flesh or is Satan or some other person or influence drawing you away from the agenda of Jesus in your life? Question we want to ask ourselves is, is Jesus getting his way in us? Now, when it comes to the kingdom of God and it comes to this dynamic, understand that the kingdom of God is what our church exists to serve. And so as we think about the future, understand that this means we, like Jesus, are to step into the city of Seattle and advance his kingdom. We are to show the world what life looks like when Jesus gets his way. This means that as we move into the future, we are bringing gospel relief to those who are suffering. 
And we want to be the type of church that brings truth with a, with a personal touch. That relationships matter, proclamation matters. As we relieve the hurting of those who are suffering in our society, we want to do so in person. We want to do so up close. We want to bring truth with a personal touch. Again, this is why every person must be involved. I can't do this. You can't do this. But we can do this. We can live out a ministry that says every single person matters. Every person has a name and every name should be known. Every person has a story. Every story should be learned. Every person can be ministered to in a personal way with the truth of the gospel. This is how we bring relief to the suffering. Whether they are suffering physically or mentally or emotionally, we want to draw near and bring the kingdom of God to bear on their lives. But we also want to bring relief to those who are tormented. We want to minister to those who are tormented. Now, the Bible is not reductionistic when it talks about what it means to be tormented. It's not reductionistic in the sense that every person has a demon or that behind every disease there must be a demonic influence that needs to be dealt with. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't reduce human beings to that type of simple form. If you were to read Matthew chapter 11, uh, verse 24 there's a moment where Jesus or we're told that good news about Jesus began to spread throughout the land and then everyone started to bring to him all those who were get this afflicted those suffering from various diseases and intense pains the demon possessed the epileptics and the paralytics there were multiple categories that Jesus dealt with Jesus understands that human beings are complex creatures and so not every struggle is attached to demonic influence but some struggles are we want to be made aware of that so that we can engage the battle where it is actually found some battles are mental struggles some battles are emotional struggles some are spiritual struggles we want to get to know people so well that we know how to minister to them personally with the truth that they need this is why we don't cast out demons every time we see someone is sick but we lay our hands upon them, we pray for them, and if there is some demonic influence, we ask for that to be exposed and eradicated, but then we also give them medicine, right? I remember when Paul was talking to Timothy, and Timothy had a stomach ache. He didn't blame a demon on Timothy's pain. No, he said, now go drink some wine. Your, your tummy needs it. And wine was therapeutic, had a medicinal effect back in the first century. Still does in some ways today, but you know what I'm saying. He believed in medicine, and he believed in miracles. As we bring relief to those who are suffering, and we bring relief to those who are tormented, we believe in medicine, and we believe in miracles. We're going to walk with Jesus to discern what's needed in any given moment with any given person so that we can see Jesus get his way in the lives of those who are suffering and in the lives of those who are tormented. But then we also want to bring gospel relief to those who are tired. We want to proclaim good news to those who are fatigued, for those who are struggling. We recognize that there are many people who are just wearing themselves thin, running themselves ragged in our culture. They're trying to prove themselves for various reasons by accomplishing various things, not for the betterment of people per se, but for their own self-worth. 
And we have the opportunity to step into those relationships and to show people a better way. Look, you don't have to strive for worth. You don't have to strive for value. You don't have to strive to establish your place in this world to feel like you belong. Jesus says that you do. And so we bring relief to those who are tired, those who are running themselves ragged, saying, hey, step back and breathe. You are loved. God will accept you in Christ. You don't have to prove yourself to him. You don't have to please him to accept you. He will accept you. And when you get there, you can just breathe. There's a reason why Jesus is referred to as our Sabbath rest. That when we come to him, he brings rest to our souls, relief, so that we stop striving. One of the things I want to see in the life of the church over the next several years is I want to see a community of people who are at rest. People who are breathing a sigh of relief. They know they're loved. They know they're cared for. They know they're accepted all because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You know, when Jesus resurrected from the grave, not long after that, he ascended into heaven and he took his seat at the right hand of the throne of God, which is why one theologian said when Jesus ascended, his ascension means the world can breathe a sigh of relief. We can rest easy because Jesus is on his throne. The work of our salvation has been accomplished. So now we rest in him and we find relief when we are tired. And then lastly, we want to be people who bring relief to those who are aimless. One of the biggest impediments to lasting joy is a lack of a lasting purpose, of not feeling like you're giving your life to something that's going to stand the test of time. Well, when you give yourself in service to the kingdom of God, you're giving yourself to that which will not only stand the test of time, it will transcend time. You become an eternal person marked with eternal life, serving an eternal kingdom. And with that comes purpose. With that comes direction. With that comes uh, any temptation that you are living a futile life just dissipates. And so we get to bring that news to bear on the lives of those that we interact with on a daily basis. Bringing relief to those who are aimless so that they can find themselves in the story of God seeing the kingdom of God showing up in ways that they never dreamed possible. So again, I ask you, is Jesus getting his way in your life right now? Are you surrendered to his way? Are you following his way? Are you listening to his way? I pray that each and every one of us can say yes to that.